travels without a visa. It's taken a month of uncertainty, but today it's plain. Once again, my visa has not been endorsed. My open dated departure ticket will have to wait. People younger and fitter and far less prepared than I get on the spot emergency tickets and visa clearance and check out in the blink of an eye. And here I am ready and still waiting year on year. My wife has left. Even two of my sons have gone. At 91 years of age, one has outlived most of the acquaintances of one's life. Memories, even happy ones, are frustrating because there's no one to share them with, no one to whom they mean as much. Captain Sir, Captain Sir! Harsha's voice intrudes on my reverie and I raise my eyes to him in silent acknowledgement. He wants me to come out on the balcony, as has been my old habit. But the shift to Veena's house in Goa has been exhausting and it has taken time for me to recover. My two attendants, Harsha and Sheila, have been tireless in their care. Veena, my daughter and all her family have also been loving and attentive. This new doctor, Lazarus, what a magnificent name for a doctor. He has been unstinting in his efforts. Young and handsome, jovial. He had spoken to my previous doctor personally, so evidently dedicated to his patients. And witty, I like that. He caught on to the visa ticket thing very quickly. The rascal said he had been the one to veto my visa on health grounds. I was not ill enough, it seems. Well, a laugh will get me every time. As to Harsha, the only way to get him off my case is to do what he wants. Otherwise, he will just keep pecking at me with his gentle fingers and saying, Captain, Sir, until I am driven to distraction. And Sheila is even more authoritarian. In my day, women were not so strong-willed. My wife's methods for getting her way were subtle. Veena and my daughters-in-law are not as delicate, but Sheila, hmm, she is quite a different kettle of fish. I must obey, and instantly. Furthest thing from subtle imaginable. Still, I know I'm a lucky man. Harsha and Sheila are as close as family to me now. Closer, in fact. Their ministrations and even their heckling is ringed with concern, which I exploit shamelessly. Don't begrudge me my paltry weapons. A man must use whatever comes to hand in self-defense. So, upsy-daisy. Straighten the various parts that need straightening. Stiffen the ones that need stiffening. Check that everything is ready to go. Now, forward march. My appearance in the doorway is greeted with shouts and cheers. Quite the hero's welcome. Harsha leads me to the east balcony to get the morning sun. It faces the street and not the sea. But as he says... The sea is there all day and all night. It takes me a while to settle down. Not only do I have to contend with my own body, 
not as obedient and obliging as before, but all the fussing and caring of family too. I am as gracious as I can be. I know they have been worrying about me. It would have been quite nasty for all concerned, except me perhaps, if after relocating me to Goa for my health, I quietly got my visa endorsed and checked out. Finally, the kerfluffle settles down and they all get on with their morning routine, leaving me to a bit of quietude. What a blessing it is to have my own furniture. The beds, chairs and tables to which I've grown accustomed. They fit their bumps and dips to mine in a most comforting fashion. Even their discomforts are familiar. I find myself stroking the arm of my chair lovingly, as if it were a long-lost friend. Its familiar lines really are pacifying. Everything is so new in Veena's house, including the people. The Veena I know well is a young strip of a girl, not this bustly grandmother. And I don't even know the rest of them as well as I know her. Nowhere near as well as I know this lumpy old chair. That will change, I know. Pending that visa's arrival, we will get to know each other very well, what's and all. And when you're 91, you've collected a fair number of warts, I can assure you. What is that wailing noise in the street? Oh, it's a child. A group of children waiting for their school bus. Two different schools, it seems from their uniforms. All ages and both girls and boys in each set. It's one of the little ones who has set up the caterwauling and the tyke has worked up the whole toddler group and now there's a mass of wailing babies. Mothers trying to calm them down and wiping snotty noses. Ah! They seem to be going off to school younger and younger these days. At two, I'm told. What can one teach a two-year-old, did I hear you ask? Plenty, apparently. Sociable behaviour, to begin with. Sharing your sandwiches and not demanding all the teacher's attention for yourself. Our boys went to school at six, if I remember right. But Veena, the youngest, went at four. Not a backward glance from that miss, as I recall it. None of this crying nonsense either. She just loved school. But then, she'd had the teachers eating out of the palm of her hand. In those days, the girls wore dresses and went to girls' schools, and boys wore short pants and went to boys' schools. Oh, but that was a long time ago, 60 or 65 years ago. But it's all fresh in my memory, like yesterday. Actually, not like yesterday. Yesterday... I cannot remember. Not what I ate or did or whom I met. Zilch, as they say nowadays. In our days, we said tabula rasa. I can still see Brown Sir wagging his cane desperately at us in new matriculation school. We had no interest in his useless Latin and Greek. We could hardly wait to burst out of his tiny classroom and its three-to-a-bench confines and get on with the far more important business of making our way home. 
There were hillsides to be slid down, stones to be kicked, paper pellets to be rubber banded at each other, raw mangoes to be stolen from wayside trees and stick-wielding farmers to be skeeted away from. Five days a week, one hour each way, rain or shine, with our khaki satchels bouncing on our backs, and no one ever grumbled about any of that. It was the sitting in the classroom part that we all whined about. Me too, though my shameful little secret was that I loved the studies and hated the cricket. I was at pains to prevent my friends from getting to know this. And every term, when I ranked first in class, I played it down as best I could. I made a huge show of my enthusiasm for cricket, but I was so utterly hopeless at it that no one ever wanted me on their team. So I mercifully escaped that torture while making noisy protestations about always being left out. I thought nostalgically of Ratan, my best friend. Got his visa and boarded his flight must be 20-30 years ago. He was tops in everything involving muscles, useless from the neck up. So dramatic the way we became friends. He was new to our school and no one likes an oversmart new boy. But his mastery of cricket made him universally admired. I'd watched him in awe. If only I could have just a fraction of that ability. But it was like wishing for the moon. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't even face the bowler with my eyes open. It was the last day of the school term and I'd escaped from the gang and was sitting at the side of the road, ashamed to go home and crying my eyes out when I saw this colossus of the cricket field bounding along the path, merrily singing and kicking stones. There was no avoiding his kindness. He put his arm around my shoulders and comforted me. He said, we just have to bear the shame and the wax our fathers would give us. But we could be friends from then on. So at least we'd have each other. What else could we do if we had failed? Failed? Merciful God, I had not failed. I had come second for the first time in my whole life. I simply could not bear the disgrace and shame. I'd never seen anyone laugh like Ratan laughed that day. His eyes were streaming. He was rolling around, shrieking, roaring, hiccuping. I joined in soon enough. And a friendship was cemented there and then at the side of the dirt road at the mature age of 12 that lasted many decades. What a summer that was. It was my initiation into the world of boyhood mischief. I'd always been naughty as a child but never a hellraiser. I rose to that rank only under Ratan's able tutelage. He introduced me to the gastronomic delights of raw guavas, lightly sprinkled with salt and chilli powder. Only later did he reveal where he got them from. The graveyard. The thrashing I got when my parents came to know you cannot imagine. Today it's just an innocuous fruit. But in those days, guavas and custard apples grew only in graveyards. 
and no self-respecting person ever dreamed of eating them. Except Ratan, it turned out, and me. My mother's weepings and recriminations and prayers, dragging me off to the temple and forcing me to eat and drink all manner of blessed products. What a hullabaloo! She was convinced I was all but gone. And here I am, ninety-one and counting. The other standout occasion was the night we shifted Chanduram's bed. Chanduram was a pot-bellied fellow who had a ghee and jaggery shop. Some of the boys used to grab a chunk of jaggery and run off without paying for it. Not I, I hasten to add. But as a result, Chanduram hated all boys. He was always ranting at us, belaying us with a fly whisk if we got within range. How it started, I don't remember. Perhaps some innocent was wrapped by him and wanted revenge. But a project was undertaken to teach him a lesson. In charge of the project, Ratan. Tagging along, never knowing what he was getting into, myself. Numbers made up by sundry other clueless fool boys of similar age and persuasion. In the hot summer nights, the merchants in our village slept out on the street hoping to catch the smallest passing breeze, reclining on light string cots called khatlas. It was a kind of men's club. They talked about the day, politics or idle chit-chat and around midnight fell off to sleep. The night resounded with their various snores. Different pitches and notes going up and down the scale. Some rumbled like thunder, some squeaked, some shuddered, some sounded while inhaling, some exhaling and some both on the way in and out. It was a veritable concert. Not a fine one in terms of quality, but variety unmatched. With Ratan leading us, we picked our way through the sleepers till we found Chanduram. In fits of muffled giggles, we picked up his khatlu with him still snoring on it and transported it across town. It was a long way in the pitch dark and we were nervous and excited. Oh, it was the most wickedly exhilarating thing I had ever done. It was all over the village the next day and people talked about it for weeks. Some blamed ghosts. Some suspected us boys. But we were never identified, so we got away with that bit of mischief. My father, who was never one to let the grass grow under his feet, called me in for an interrogation. But my mother came to my rescue, averring that her son would never do such a thing and how could my father even think of accusing me? I escaped without having had to utter a false word in my own defence. Many years later, when the matter came up in passing and I confessed the particulars to them, Mama was shocked. But Papa gave me a wolfish grin, almost proud, I think, of my intrepid exploits. Captain Sir! Captain Sir! The repeated calls and shakes of the arm bring me back to the present. The stentorious Sheila has replaced Harsha on duty. Not touched your tea at all and smiling away happily, huh? She chatters on like a magpie as she plumps up my pillows, realigns my feet on the footstool and settles my covers. 
The school bus has come and gone, taking its noisy, bustling human cargo with it. I have not even noticed. Oh well, so what if my visa does not come? There seem to be many places I can travel without one. The next time, I will sit on the other balcony and look out on the sea and the sand. Wonder where I'll wander off to from there. The mind is its own country.